Hey, welcome to the Thursday night Bible study with Clarence Haynes. On behalf of my wife and everyone here at the Bible Study Club, we want to thank you for joining us here. Tonight's session, we are starting a new series. We're looking at the book of Galatians, and the title for tonight is The Gospel, What It Is, and What It Isn't. So we're going to answer that question tonight about what is the gospel. But before we get there, just a few things uh, before we jump into that. Uh, first things first, if you are watching us on YouTube, make sure you go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Or if you are on Facebook, just make sure you like and follow our page. And by doing that, that will simply keep you up to date with everything that's happening here in the Bible Study Club. Now, a couple of things. We just finished our obedience series and the entire playlist is now available on our YouTube channel. So if you have not watched it or if you've missed a session, feel free to go back and uh, watch anything that you've missed and you can be caught up there. Now, here in the Bible Study Club, we have a couple of things that we love to people to do, three things especially. Number one, we want you to open God's word. We want you to discover truth in God's word. And then we want you to apply it to your life because when you apply it to your life, that folks is where the real transformation happens. And if you, this is your first time, just know that we are here every single Thursday at 8 p.m. So you can catch us here on YouTube or on Facebook. Now, before we jump further into what we're going to do, in fact, let me do this now. I'm going to pray now and then we'll move forward from there. Father, I thank you for tonight. I ask God that you would help us to uh, learn and understand your word. Give us ears to, to hear and, uh, and understand everything that you want to say tonight. And I thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. Now, as I said before, just before we jump into uh, what we're going to do here tonight in Galatians, um, we, we, we just completed the obedience series, and last week we did a Q&A session, so that also is available on our YouTube page, so feel free to uh, watch that if you missed it. But there was a question that I didn't get to last week that I want to address this week, because uh, I think it might be a blessing to more than one person, so let me uh, read the question, and then I'm going to give you an answer that I think will be great or a blessing to you. So here's the question uh, that came in. I'm going to read it as it came Amen. It says, I read my Bible, but I cannot seem to remember what I read once I am done. Maybe you can relate to that. Uh, is there a way to comprehend what I read as I am reading? What a fantastic question. Uh, and I think it's a great question to ask. And I think it's one that deserves an answer. So that's what I'm going to do. So here's, here's my practical answer. There is nothing really... Uh, uh, spiritual about this. This is all practical. The first thing I'm going to recommend that you do is read less. Uh, now, what do I mean by that? I'm not saying read the Bible less. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is each day that you go to read, don't try to read so much. Read less. Um, you know, there are like Bible reading um, plans that are out there, and those are really good to help you read the Bible. The only challenge sometimes in doing that, however, is that you're reading a lot and you're not able to comprehend all you read. You know, some people try to read the Bible in a year, and if you do that, you're going to have to read about four chapters a day, and it's really hard to comprehend 
four chapters of scripture every single day. So if you really want to comprehend what you are reading, then the first thing I'm going to recommend that you do is read less. It's okay. You don't have to rush through it. You can take your time. It's not a race. It's not a, a race to see you can get there first. It's okay to take your time. So if there are, there are days, just so you know, there are days where in my reading, I may only read three or four verses. And then there are days I may read a whole chapter. So, um, you know, it all depends on sometimes the thing just hits you and you just got to stay there and meditate. The Bible says to study to show yourselves approved. So as you know, there is a difference between reading and studying. So it's okay to read less. Um, and the second thing I would recommend is that you write more. So read less and write more. What do I mean by that? Simply write down more of what you are learning. Write down questions, write down thoughts. So get yourself a little notebook or a notepad or a journal or something. Some people old school used to just write it right into the, the Bible itself. Uh, I don't know if people still do that anymore, but read more. I'm sorry, read less and write more. And I think if you do both of those things, that's going to help you to uh, comprehend and understand and even remember more of what you're reading. So hopefully that helps you. If that does, just uh, uh, let me know, put something in the comments and let me know that, yeah, you know what, that makes sense. That's an encouragement. That's a blessing. And here's also, I want to encourage you as we get ready to go into the Galatians, and I want to share how we're going to do this. But as we go through, feel free to uh, put things in the comments as we go through, um, just to, to kind of let me know that you're with me or whether you agree or disagree, throw questions in there, do all of that stuff in the comments. We appreciate that um, as we go through this. Now, we are going to look at the book of Galatians, and, and I want to outline for you how we're going to go through the book, because there's different ways to do book studies. Um, some ways to do it is a verse-by-verse -verse study, which we're not actually going to do a verse-by-verse. -verse. We're going to, uh, over the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to pull out of just about each chapter uh, a specific thought or topic or idea that's coming out of that chapter, and we're going to talk about it for that week, okay? So that's what we're going to do. That's why this week our study is titled The Gospel, What Is It and What Is It Not? And we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, that'll, that'll all make sense for you uh, in just a few moments here, okay? So that's how we're going to do this over the next several weeks, and uh, so I'm, I'm excited about this. Hopefully you've been reading through the book of Galatians. If not, make sure you do that as we go through. Let me give you a little bit of background uh, about the book of Galatians and the Galatian church. Just so you know, the Galatian church was located somewhere in Asia Minor. Now, if you're not geography uh, um, fan or, 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 or you don't do that well, geography, um, I'm sorry, Asia Minor is basically in modern day Turkey. So it's in that part of uh, of the world, this is where the Galatian church uh, was established. Now, um, it's also possible, and I think it's highly likely, that the, the letter that Paul wrote to Galatians is possibly the very first epistle that Paul wrote. So this is possibly the very first one. And as far as when this book was written, there are really two views on when the book was written. And part of it has to do with the reality of the location 
of this church, and there are two different viewpoints here. This is all background stuff. One is what's called the North Galatian view, and this view basically suggests that the book was written to a group of churches that were in the northern part of central or north central Asia Minor. Um, and uh, that's that's what's called the North Galatian view. If that was the case, then they kind of uh, penned this book or, or marked this book as being written somewhere between AD 53 and 57. But what scholars have looked at and what more research has found is that more likely is that this is what's called the South Galatian view. Look at that, you got a North and a South, but there's no civil war here. But, and what this means is that there is an area of, of Southern Galatia, and there are certain cities that are there. Uh, the names of those cities are, are Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derby. These are all in the South. And these churches were founded by Paul on his first missionary journey. So he, he established churches in these cities in that first missionary journey. And it's that's why um, it's quite possible that when you look at Galatians, and we'll, we'll see this in just a moment, but when you look at Galatians, you begin to, to it kind of lines up with this southern Galatian view, all right, of when this book was written. And estimates say that this missionary journey occurred between AD 46 and AD 48. And, uh, and so this book was written shortly thereafter that. And if you want to know about these cities and how Paul founded these cities, then you can read Acts chapter 13 and 14. That will give you a breakdown of Paul's initial missionary journey where he went to these cities and he founded churches there. And you can kind of see what happened after he did this. So it's quite possible this book of Galatians was most likely Paul's first letter written, and it was written somewhere around AD 50. So that's kind of what uh, we're looking at. Now, just for those of you who don't know, this was a, an epistle. And if you're not familiar with that terminology, an epistle is simply a letter, all right? In the New Testament, there were actually 21 epistles, and Paul wrote 13 of them, possibly 14. The one that we're not sure who wrote is the book of Hebrews. There's not definitive, uh, uh, there's a debate rather over, over who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some say it's Paul, some say not, but we know for certain, uh, pretty certainly that Paul wrote 13 of the 21 epistles in the New Testament. And so we're going to look at the way Paul would typically um, address a specific church. And when he was writing to a church, when he was writing to uh, writing his letter or his epistle to the church, typically what he was doing, he was usually addressing an issue or a problem that the church was having. And what we're about to find out is that the Galatian church was actually no different. And that's part of the main issue that we're going to look into tonight. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start by looking at Galatians chapter 1. And let's just read verse number 1. It says, Paul, an apostle sent from men, not nor, I'm sorry, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead 
and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, okay? And again, um, there we go, the churches, that's why it's plural, right? And remember what we referred to earlier, the Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derby, stuff like that. Now, what's interesting is the way Paul would typically begin his letters. And he usually began his letters by establishing his authority to write to the churches. And if you look here, basically what he was saying was, um, I, Paul, am writing this to you, and this is why you should listen to me. This is the authority by which I am writing, and this is the reason why you should listen to me. Think of it like this. If you've ever seen a news reporter interview uh, someone on, on camera, and maybe they're talking about a specific topic, and many times what they'll do is when they interview the person or when they announce the person, what they'll do is they'll give their credentials. Now, why are they giving the person's credentials is because they want to give you a reason why you should listen to this person. Um, maybe it's a medical issue and this person happens to be an expert in that particular area. They're giving you the reason why you should listen and pay attention to the person that's about to speak. And Paul is kind of doing the same thing. He's establishing um, who he is. He is establishing his authority. He's establishing the reason why they should listen to him. And in this case, it's because, number one, he is a, an apostle. These are his credentials, right? He's an apostle, but he's an apostle not sent by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. So this is the reason why he can say what he's about to say. And then the second reason, well, I just gave it to you, but he is sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father, okay? So those are Paul's credentials, and he typically would start every letter that same way. And again, it's to the churches, the churches in Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra, and Derby, and since it's written to the churches, what does that mean? That means Paul is addressing Christians, right? So he's not writing to unbelievers here. He's writing to people that are believers. So in essence, you could almost say Paul is like writing this letter to you. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer, born-again believer in Jesus Christ, well, guess what? Paul is writing this letter to you because you are a Christian. So this could be addressed to you. Let's take a look at verse number three. It says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just so you know, grace and peace at that time was a very standard opening, a standard greeting to letters that were written in that day. And so just so you understand why grace and why peace, grace was a very standard Greek greeting that was at the beginning of a letter and peace or shalom was a standard Jewish greeting. So what Paul, in essence, was doing is addressing both the Jewish and the Gentile Christians in his opening letter. So whenever you say grace and peace, he's actually talking to the Jew and the, the Gentile for grace and the, the uh, peace for the, for the Jew or, or shalom. Okay. Now, let's get to the issue that was happening in this Galatian church. And we see this in verses four through seven. And by the way, I'm reading from the New International Version here. 
It says, uh, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Let me just go back for a second. Grace and peace. Let me read verse 3. I think it flows better. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to him, to whom, rather, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Think about that key word for tonight, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now remember, this Galatian church was a very young church. Paul had just founded the church. And so it's interesting, he says in verse 6, that I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who calls you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. So shortly after Paul had just preached to this church, all of a sudden they are turning to a gospel which Paul says is not really a gospel at all, a different gospel that's not a gospel at all. So what in the world was happening in the Galatian church? And so let's talk about that. One of the problems in the Galatian church was there was, there was a group who were known as the Judaizers or the Judaizers, okay? And they were confusing the early believers here. These were Gentile believers, by the way. And they began to preach to them a gospel that in essence was not really the gospel at all. Okay. And I want you to understand how this all came to be and, and who the Judaizers were. To understand that you need to recognize that the very first converts to Christianity were Jews. Okay. Remember, Jesus was Jewish and his early followers were Jews. And so after he rose from the dead, the very first people that were following Jesus Christ were the Jews, okay? Um, so in essence, they went from Judaism to following Jesus and to Christianity, if you will, all right? Um, and by the way, the early Christians were not called Christians. Uh, it really wasn't until Antioch in Acts chapter 11 that they were called Christians. Before that, they were simply called followers of the way. Okay, so you have the early church, stay with me here, that were all Jews, and then they found Christ, and they began to follow Christ, and they were called followers of the way. So they went from, a, from being following the traditions of the Jewish religion or Judaism to following Christ, okay? However, the group, there was the group, these groups called the Judaizers, and here's what they were teaching. They were teaching that salvation was a combination of God's grace and human effort. What human effort was required was that they wanted them to specifically, for Gentiles, to follow the laws of Moses, especially the dietary laws, the laws of circumcision especially, and then making sure that they're honoring the Sabbath. So here's what the Judaizers were, were preaching. They were saying to be saved, 
if you're a Gentile, in order to become a Christian, the first thing you have to do is you need to convert to the ways of Judaism. And then once you've done that, then now you can move and become a Christian. So they added a step to the gospel. All right. And as Paul says, once you do that, then you no longer have a gospel. So if you are a Gentile, you had to become a Jewish proselyte, or that's just a word, that's just a fancy word for a convert. So you had to convert to Judaism. And then once you follow the, the, the traditions of the law of Moses, now then you were able from there to become a Christian. And this became a big issue in the Galatian church because some of the, the early, the young believers in this church started falling victim to this. All right. In fact, there was a big discussion. And if you look in your Bibles at Acts chapter 15, there was a council in Jerusalem where they talked about this. It says in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, it says certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. They were giving them a different gospel because where in the gospel does it say that you have to be circumcised first before you can be saved? This, in verse 2, brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So the council all got together because they wanted to address this all-important issue, okay, defining really what is the requirement of the gospel. They were defining what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't, all right? Um, eventually, down to verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 5, it says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, so these are the Judaizers, right? The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. They were making this a requirement for their salvation, all right? So they were adding something to the gospel. Now imagine if you're a Gentile, you're not really familiar with all of the, the laws and traditions of Moses and all of these things, and then someone who comes down who has all of this knowledge of the Old Testament, and by the way, you have to understand, at this point, the only Bible that existed was the Old Testament. There was no New Testament written at this time. So all of a sudden, they come with all of this knowledge of the Old Testament, and they're telling you, yes, you're a Gentile, but if you want to get saved, you've got to follow all these laws of Moses before you can actually get saved. All right? And if you don't know any better, you might fall victim to that. And this is exactly what was happening in the Galatians church, in the Galatian church, okay? In verse 10 and 11, here's what it says. It says, uh, Acts chapter 15, it says, now then, why do you try to test, this is Peter speaking, um, God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Okay, so what they came away from understanding here is that it is by God's grace alone, faith in Jesus Christ alone, that is required for salvation, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. Now, by the way, there are examples of modern day uh, Judaizers. And one of the things I want you to understand that it is okay to acknowledge the Jewish heritage of our Christian faith. 
right? I said before that Jesus was a Jew and the early converts were Jewish. So it's okay to acknowledge the Jewish heritage. However, that's not meant to replace grace. It's just meant to give you a better understanding sometimes of many of the, the traditions and things that were done in the Old Testament, how they foreshadow or picture many of the things that happen when Christ walked the earth and even into the New Testament. So it's okay to recognize some of the traditions and customs as long as you don't make those traditions and customs uh, part of or necessary for salvation. Um, let me give an example. Um, for example, Passover, the celebration of Passover. If you remember what happened at Passover, uh, they were required to put the blood right on their on their doorposts. And when they put the blood on their doorposts, the angel of death passed what over them. In other words, what happened was when when they saw the blood, the judgment that that was designed to happen did not happen because of the blood. So what is that a celebration of? Well, guess what? What's similar to that? It's the same thing God does with us when he looks at us and he sees the blood of Jesus, then the judgment that is apportioned a, a or signed to us because of our sin, he passes over us because of the blood of Jesus. Okay, so that's just an example where you can look at the Old Testament tradition and see how it relates to the New Testament. So you can uh, connect the two. All right, so I just want you to understand that. Now, just to give you a modern day example of this Judaizer, there's a group or an organization called the Hebrews Roots, the Hebrew Roots Movement. Uh, you may or may not have heard of this, but the premise here is what they believe is that, I'm just reading this, um, I got this from gotquestions.org. It says that the, uh, the church has veered far from the true teachings and Hebrew concepts of the Bible. They hold to the teaching that Christ's death on the cross did not end the Mosaic Covenant, but instead renewed it, expanded its message, and wrote on it the, and wrote on it wrote it on the hearts of his true believers. So, what they're assuming is that the church has lost its Jewish roots and is unaware that Jesus and his disciples were Jews living in obedience to the Torah. Okay, and so basically what they're saying is that in order to really, I'm putting this in air quotes, live the Christian life, then you have to keep all of the requirements of the law. And if you're not keeping the requirements of the law, then you are not really a believer. Okay, so it's grace plus these works that are a requirement in order for salvation. This is kind of what the Hebrews uh, roots movement is saying and what i'm telling you is folks that that is not the gospel it's not anytime you add anything to what jesus has done it's not the gospel and so here's what i want to do tonight i want to define for you exactly what the gospel is so that's what we're going to do tonight we're going to define what it is and so for the gospel to be the gospel there are a few things some components that must be a part of it and i want to break all of these components down all right so the first thing we need to understand is that for the gospel to be the gospel okay it begins with god and it begins with god loving and reaching out to redeem mankind 
See, here's the essence of the gospel. The gospel is not about your effort to reach God. The gospel is about God's effort to reach you. Okay? That's the first thing you need to understand. And when you look at Galatians 1.4, notice what it says. It says, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Okay? So, and, and think about John 3.16, right? It says, for God so loved the world. Okay? So for it to be the true gospel, it must begin with God's effort reaching out towards you, not with your effort reaching out towards God. If it's about your effort trying to reach God, then it's no longer the gospel. And by the way, this is what sets Christianity apart from other religions. Other religions begin with you trying to do something to get to God. Christianity begins with God providing everything you need to get to him, or rather to get to you. That's the difference, okay? Now, for the gospel to be the gospel, the second thing that must happen is that it the gospel, it must satisfy all the requirements of the law, all right? In other words, the law exists for a reason, right? It makes us aware of sin, but for the gospel to really be the gospel, then we have to fulfill all the requirements of the law. Notice what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So for the gospel to be the gospel, somewhere along the line, the requirements of the law must be fulfilled. And we know that Jesus came to do just that, to fulfill the requirements of the law. And by the way, when you understand the gospel, this is why you can um, understand that we can trust in the finished work of, of the cross on Calvary. For the gospel to be the gospel, another thing is that there has to be a perfect sacrifice. There also must be the shedding of blood because judgment and justice for sin must be completed. Okay. In other words, there has to be a payment for the for sin. It has to come from somewhere. In other words, somebody has to pay the bill for sin. Okay. It's either going to be you or it's going to be Jesus in his perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 9.22 tells us, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Okay, so you need to get that, right? So somebody's got to pay for it. There's got to be a perfect sacrifice and a shedding of blood for the gospel to be the gospel. And just so you understand, this began in the garden. If you remember, after Adam and Eve sinned, right? God said, the day you eat of that fruit, you will die. Adam and Eve sinned. Eventually, God did something, right? Before he released them out of the garden or moved them out of the garden, he covered them with the skin of an animal. So what did God do? God had to a sacrifice an animal to cover Adam and Eve in their sin. You see, this, 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 um, this was a, a pattern that was established 
um, this principle rather was established from the very beginning. Because to skin an animal, what do you have to do? You got to kill the animal in order to skin it. So God, from the very beginning, because of sin, there was a penalty to be paid, and that penalty was death. Okay. Now, so in order for the gospel to work, at some point there has to be an accounting for, an atonement, a judgment for sin. Justice must be served. All right. In order for the gospel to work. Now. Here's what we know then. Jesus, who is God, he came and he took on human flesh. We know this in Matthew. He's called Emmanuel, right? God with us. Or John uh, chapter 1 says that the word, who is God, became flesh and dwelt among us, okay? And then what Jesus did was he lived out all the requirements of the law without sin, which means he became qualified to be the perfect sacrifice. You see, the law required a sacrifice, but the sacrifice had to be perfect and without blemish. You, you couldn't bring a, a, a imperfect sacrifice. So Christ became the perfect sacrifice that was required by the law. Hope you're you're with me here. Now, his death on the cross. What did that do? That met the judgment and the justice that was required by the law because God poured out on Christ all of the sin of the world. Okay? Romans chapter 3, verse 25. I'm reading this from the New Living Translation. It says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin, right? The perfect sacrifice, the unblemished sacrifice. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Also, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I hope how you get this, right? So there was a requirement needed for sin. Jesus became the perfect sacrifice fulfilling the requirement of the law. There was a price that had to be paid for the sin. Now, his death paid the requirement for a sin. However, his resurrection sealed the deal and completed our salvation. And, and I need you to get to see why both of these work together. First Corinthians chapter 1, I'm sorry, verse, First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. All right? So, Here's how this works. And this is the gospel, folks. So the work has already been done. Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the law. And everything that is required by the law has been fulfilled in Christ. Everything. All that is required of you is that you put your total faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And if you do that, then you will have salvation. That, folks, is the gospel. You don't need to add anything else to it because there's nothing else that, that can be or needs to be added to it because Christ fulfilled everything that was required in order to purchase our salvation. All right? So there's nothing else that needs to be added to it. Um, all right? This, folks, is the gospel. And, since, and think about this for a moment. Since every requirement of the law has already been filled in Christ, 
when you put your trust in Christ for salvation, God sees you as one who is justified or righteous. He sees you as one who has met every requirement of the law and he sees you as righteous, not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done, his righteousness gets applied to your account. This is the gospel. This is the message that Paul had preached to the Galatian church earlier when he had founded the church. And these Judaizers now were coming and they were messing the whole thing up. Okay? And here's the facts, folks. If anybody adds anything as a requirement of salvation, anything at all, I don't care how big or little it is, anything beyond putting your faith in Jesus Christ alone, in the finished work of Calvary alone, anything that gets added to that, it is no longer the gospel. You have another gospel. That is not what the gospel is. And if it's another gospel, then it's no gospel at all. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary alone, period, end of sentence. Anything else added to that is not the gospel. It is another gospel. And so here's what I did. And I want you to, to do this and send these to me this week. I created an acronym um, for the word gospel. Um, and so I was trying to figure this out. So here's my acronym for gospel. God's only son purchasing eternal life. That's my acronym for gospel. So here's what I want you to do this week. And, and if you like that, you can let me know. But uh, create an acronym for, for the gospel. And then just, just email them to me throughout the week. Uh, send them to hello at the Bible study club. Um, your acronym for gospel. Mine's is God's only son purchasing eternal life. Now here's, let's go back to Galatians for a moment. Um, and we are getting close to the end here. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says, But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Okay? He said that twice. That's how important that is, all right? So here's what's important, folks. I don't care who the person is. I don't care what title they have. I don't care what position they hold. I don't care what they call themselves. If they preach a gospel that adds one thing, anything at all, to the reality of that it's faith in Christ alone, in the, in, in the finished work of, of Christ on the cross, if they add anything to that, it is no longer the gospel and Paul says, let them be under a curse. I don't care what title or position they have. If they're preaching that, it is not the gospel. And you don't have to be afraid of that teaching because it's not the true gospel. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk away with just a few thoughts here today. All right, as we start wrapping this up. Because one of the things that we always like to do here in the Bible Study Club is not just give you truth, right? Discover truth. Now here's some practical things to take with you. Here's the first thing that's practical. You need to be certain and sure of what you believe. 
You see, they were taking advantage of this Galatian church because they were younger believers and they didn't quite understand and know what, what they believed. The Bible says, study to show yourselves approved, a workman who needs not be ashamed but rightly divides or handles the word of truth. I encourage you, make sure you know what you believe. This way, when you see something that's wrong, you can spot it. Okay, so take some time to know what you believe. Second thing is don't be intimidated by a title. If they are preaching the wrong gospel, if they're preaching another gospel, it's not the truth. I don't care what title they have. Don't be intimidated by that. They're preaching error. It's okay. You don't have to worry about that as far as being intimidated by their title. The third thing I want you to walk away with is let the truth of God's word be your standard and not a person's sincerity. And, 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 and here's what I mean by that. People can be very sincere about what they believe, but guess what? They can be passionate and sincere about their belief, and they can be sincerely wrong at the same time. So the standard of truth is God's word. Let that be your standard, not how sincere or authentic a person sounds. Make sure it lines up with God's word. And that brings us to the last point. Test everything according to God's word. You, you might hear me say this often, but he, even here in the Bible study club, don't just take what I say at face value. Go and study and research yourself. It is absolutely okay. And if you find something that I say that's not wrong, then please, that's wrong rather, then let me know. Um, then I don't want to be teaching anything that's not true. Okay? So test everything according to the standard of God's word. So we're about to, to wrap this up. So, so here's what I want you to, to understand is this. Understand what the gospel is. It is uh, you are saved by grace alone, by faith through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone on the cross. And so I encourage you to get that truth, know what the gospel is, so if someone is preaching something different, you know exactly what it isn't. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your for your word here this evening. Lord, I ask that you would help us all to become better students of truth so that when we see something that's wrong, we will recognize it, Father. Give us a hunger and a passion and a desire to understand your word so that we would know it better, grow deeper and closer to you, and most importantly, apply it to our life. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Now, we've been talking tonight about the gospel, right? It's faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. And maybe you're out there tonight and you have never received this Jesus as your Savior. You've never put your complete faith and trust in the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross. One of the things I said earlier is this. The law requires justice. There is a payment that has to be paid and it's either one of two things. Either you are going to pay it yourself, which is an eternal payment, or you can put your trust in Christ who's already paid it for you. And if you want to do that, then here's what you simply do. You can pray this prayer with me. Simply say this, Lord Jesus, today I put my trust in you. I receive your salvation knowing that you paid the price for my sins. Come into my life today and change me and transform my life forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, 
First of all, welcome to the family. Here's what God has just done, just so you understand this. God has taken all of Christ's perfect righteousness. He's now applied it to your account. And it's just now, right now, this very moment, if you were sincere in that, it's as if you've never sinned. Remember, we talked about that passing over earlier. Well, when God looks at you now, he sees the blood of Jesus applied to your account. And so any judgment gets passed over you. He looks at you just as, as if you have never sinned before. So if that is you and you've just prayed that prayer, please, please reach out to us. Send me an email or send us an email to hello at the Bible study club dot com and when you send that email just simply say i prayed the prayer and we want to reach out to you and get some resources in your hands to help you get started in this brand new journey which i promise you is the greatest and best decision you have you will ever make in your life and we just want to encourage you in that all right just a few things before we start uh wrapping this up by the way next week <laughs> we are going into week two of our study in Galatians, and I'm calling lesson um, week two lessons in confrontation. What do you do when the leader is wrong? <laughs> so that's what we're going to talk about next week. What do you do when the leader is wrong? All right. So if you're watching this, please make sure you follow us on all of our social media pages, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, make sure you, you, if you have not subscribed to our channel here at YouTube, subscribe um, on Facebook and make sure you share. If these, if these are, are a blessing to you, please, we ask that you share this with your friends and family. Uh, we want to encourage them as well. Also, we have our podcast, which is available on all of the your favorite podcast provider. So just simply search for the Bible study club there and you can find additional uh, messages as well. If you have any prayer requests or comments or questions, and by the way, I've been getting questions all week and I'm so thankful for it. Please keep sending them, uh, send them to hello at the Bible study club.com. I honestly, I try to get back to every single question. Now I may not be able to do it right away, but I will, I, I do try to get back to everybody. So please make sure you send that along with your prayer requests. And if you just want to follow and get more content, you can go to ClarenceHaines.com. And I like to remind you that I also write for Crosswalk.com and BibleStudyTools.com. So feel free to, to check out some articles there. We pray that this has been a blessing to you. I hope that you got something good out of this. Again, make sure you like and share. And don't forget next week, lessons in confrontation. What? do you do when the leader is wrong? My name is Clarence Haynes. Thanks for joining us this week and God bless you. We'll see you next time.